Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is brought to you by the Carnivore Bar, an ancestrally inspired meal replacement bar. It has simple ingredients, beef, tallow, and salt. It's shelf-stable, it's portable and convenient, it's great for hikes, long business trips, traveling, or just an easy, ready-to-eat option to have in your pantry. It's the perfect combination of crunchy and creamy texture. Go to carnivorebar.com and use code CARNWARECAST to save. Thank you. Suchika Kumar, who goes by Primal Yogi, is a 500 ERYT experienced registered yoga teacher, primal health coach, and res- runs a business called Live List, through which she hosts animal-based retreats and movement workshops around the world. Welcome to the show, Sucha. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, and I followed you on Instagram and we've messaged back and forth about some of your retreats as well. So really excited to get to know you a bit better. Um, so Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you, or tell us a lot about your background. (laughs) How did you get to where you are today and um, to to some of the businesses you're involved with? Yeah, for sure. And I also just want to say thank you for this platform because especially when I was making the transition and had gone full in into carnivore, it was such a great support and so many helpful resources based on the people you've had on because I feel like there's really not enough and you've had such a variety of people on. So it it truly was so helpful because jumping into my story, I came from um, an Indian background. So my parents are from India and for people who are familiar in that culture, it's not really meat heavy and especially not heavy on red meat. And so growing up, it was maybe a little bit of chicken, but a lot of fish and then a lot of vegetarian dishes. And getting into high school, I really wanted to focus on being skinny because that was super cool at the time. And there was definitely a pressure for women to be like that. And it wasn't yet cool to be like working out. And that's when at the gyms, there wasn't really many women in like the weight room either at that time yet. So it was just really wanting to be small and you don't really have much information. And it's not like schools really share with you like the proper approach to nutrition. So your initial thing is like, oh, I should just not eat. So in high school is when I decided I wanted to be like, truly pescatarian. And I honestly probably just thought it was cool. And I really liked seafood. And I thought it would help me to be healthier too. Uh, But I also at that time, now looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, this was a full-on eating disorder, but really had gone deep into basically restricting food and then having huge binge eating episodes. And it was definitely um, deeply rooted with probably a lot of childhood stuff, but probably a lot of just pressures on wanting to look a certain way. And that's something that was, I kind of healed a little bit, but just carried parts of it still. Like I always kind of felt like a slave to food up until just recently, the past two years, truly, where I've felt the most liberated I've ever felt with diet and just my approach to life in general. Um, 
when I was like 18 turning 19, I had decided to go into the fully like vegan lifestyle and eating. Um, and I know for people who aren't vegan, it's like, how could you ever do that? And I thought the same thing. But I think when you're so passionately led by something, it's easy to just dive all the way in. And people eat plant-based for a variety of reasons. My main driver um, during that diet, and actually now even the diet I eat now has always been the environment and like healing the planet, but also healing um, ourselves and then doing what's kind of the best for animals and all of that. But the environment was always big. So my really big driver for eating vegan was like, I wanted to save the planet. And I thought that was the only way. So I was never fully pushing it on people, but I was super passionate. And that's actually how I started my business, Live Bliss. It was originally um, events bridging together fitness and yoga, which is a solid foundation of movement for me, and also functional training and weightlifting, which I love. But I was encouraging people to eat plant-based and get their plant-based protein and go into that lifestyle. Um, But I think during quarantine and you know the entire era of us kind of slowing down and re-questioning things. I had also been traveling in a third world country. I was living in India and Thailand for a while. And that shifted a lot. And that's kind of what sparked and made me question a lot of things about how I was eating because I slowly started to incorporate animal products. And then that just really led me to kind of where I am now. And I've experienced everything across the board as far as like diets go. And then even within the animal-based and carnivore eating lifestyle. So that's kind of what led me to just the journey of starting with the animal-based approach to eating. That's really cool. And um, you've been through so much. It's crazy. Um, And it's cool that you kept the same brand through it too with Live Bliss. Did you, did like everyone leave and the new people start coming in or did some people like stay with you throughout? Yeah, it's been, oh my gosh, that has been such a whirlwind. So um, last year I was living in Florida for a while, but previously I was living in San Diego and I'm originally from Orange County. But if you're familiar, the San Diego community has a really strong vegan community. So when I was first growing my business and doing events, it was really known that my events were like plant-based events with fitness and yoga. And I think when I decided to start doing animal-based eating, I was, it was a little bit more low key. I've always been transparent and open about everything, but I was just slowly easing into it. And I've always shared openly my transitions, but I definitely remember people were really caught off guard and they were like, you eat meat now. Um, and I have to share this really funny story. I think I had, I was trying Wagyu for the first time because just, you know, not being raised with red meat, red meat, when I tried it, it felt like I was eating food for the first time. It was just like out of this world, but I never had Wagyu and, um, I tried a little piece and I put it on Instagram and someone from the vegan community responded, they have vegan Wagyu. And I was like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that's actually a valid question in this day and age because they have vegan everything now. So I was just like, no, it's real Wagyu. And then that was followed by an unfollow from that person. And so many people who just didn't resonate with it. And it was really hard for me at that time because I always shared openly, 
But I think especially on Facebook, I got some pretty gnarly comments. Um, And it was difficult because at first, I was taking it really personally. And at the end of the day, anything you're insecure about or you're taking personally is because you're not holding a true conviction with yourself about it. So eventually what happened was every time I would get kind of like, let's say a vegan hate comment, or even people who were truly bringing up studies like the China study or something that was trying to prove the vegan argument, I would spend hours because I was already researching the animal-based way of eating. I would spend hours researching like the counter argument. And I spent a lot of time in speech and debate team too. So I was like, all right, let's go. And, (laughs) um, And I was actually like, learning and creating even more stronger conviction because I realized the uh, invalidity with a lot of these vegan arguments. So at a certain point, I just was able to like easily filter out so many of these comments I was getting because I was like, I just clearly have done the research and I feel really confident. So I don't feel threatened by anyone. I just feel called to share my truth and I'm only sharing it because I believe it could do good for others at the end of the day and for the planet. Because when I got introduced to regenerative agriculture and ranching, I was like, this is a whole different world that people need to know about. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, and I, I get hate comments actually directed at my guests, um, which mm. is most annoying because it's it's always YouTube too. <laughs> and yeah. It's YouTube comments about my guests and it's like, uh, it's really hard yeah. to hear sometimes see read sometimes but yeah. i know those people are are probably going through a tough time um yeah. can you talk about like how carnivore the carnivore diet or eating more animal based maybe change your relationship with food and um uh it whether it helped with some of the disordered eating behaviors this episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their amazing magnesium breakthrough formula for stress relief and better sleep on a carnivore diet. Try it yourself at www.magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecasts and use code carnivore10 to save and help support the show. For August, they've prepared a special offer for our listeners. You'll be able to buy magnesium and get free bottles of the full line of digestive health products including Masszymes, patented probiotics, and more. Check them out at magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash carnivorecast. And remember to use carnivore 10. Thank you. Definitely. So one thing I'll say, and you know, anyone who I talk to about this, they'll know this, that I focus a lot on the science behind things. Like I really make sure when I, when I dive into something, I, I want to know all about it. And when even before I had jumped into animal-based eating completely, I was really trying to study binge eating because I was like, what about this? Like, why do I feel like I just need to keep eating? And I knew that when I was plant-based, I would eat like just a like just so much. Like my stomach would just be completely bloated at the end of the day every day. But I never felt satiated. Like I was just like had this other hunger always there. And so like the quick science lesson here is that we have our animal brain, which is like our hypothalamus and we have our human brain, which is our prefrontal cortex. And our animal brain is always like in survival mode. So it's going to gravitate towards things that ultimately allow us to be like in the game of survival of the fittest and, you know, procreate. 
So those like main things are going to be actually like food and sex. That's why like people say sex sells. And that's why people have food addictions and cravings is because those two things like the animal brain is just so gravitating towards because those two things keep us in that like survival game. And so um, I feel like understanding that I was like, oh, all right my body and brain doesn't feel safe right now. And it consistently feels starved. So I need to actually make it feel safe. So those were like, that was a big realization. But subconsciously, I was experiencing this. So obviously, when I was plant based, I wasn't getting all of the nutrients and satiation I needed. So even at the end of the day, even after I ate all the foods and counted all the macros and protein counts and fat counts, like I was still never satiated because my body was craving the animal foods. But for someone who has disordered eating and was restricting, I also had that restrictive food mentality. So when you're restricting food, even if it is animal foods, you're still restricting because you're trying to um, you know, eat less. And so that you're, you're basically signaling to your brain, like you're always going to be in starvation mode. So even if you eat enough, if it feels like your brain feels restricted, it's going to feel like you need to keep binging on something. So a combination of all of that, um, really allowed me to understand and for someone and a lot of us care about body image it's also just our in our innate nature as like animals at the end of the, at the end of the day we want to worry about how we look because that attracts us to other people and again survival of the fittest so we want to be attractive essentially but for me i was so scared about gaining weight so i was like i just can't let myself eat this much and then i was really nervous about the meat too because i was like this is everything that America has told you that's the worst for you. I was like, how could I do this? Um, I want to give like a big shout out to Bella Steak and Butter Gal because she was like one of the first girls who was just eating steak, just like so much of it in front of a camera. And I felt so alone going through this transition because I was like, why am I dreaming about steak? Why is it feeling like I'm eating for the first time ever? Why do I want red meat so much? And she was like always repeating, you just need to eat without any limitation. Don't count calories, just do all of that. And I was like, okay, I think I think I got to do it. So after I was transitioning to animal-based eating, I was really like, I was getting into Paul Saladino at the time and Dr. Ken Berry and like just everybody and listening to your, listening to your podcast. And I was like, I think I'm going to do the full carnivore diet. So I did do it for four months and it was so healing. And I just went, all in. And I was just like, I was eating with no limitation. And there was a part of me was like, am I going to keep eating like this much? Because it feels like, feels like my body's trying to make up for all of the years that I was depriving myself and in scarcity. And I really needed that. So it was kind of that concept of going all in. And I think that ultimately started signaling more and more safety. And I started healing hormones, metabolism, so many like physical benefits, and then really just um, basically allowing myself to feel safe with food. So that was that carnivore time, strict carnivore time was like a catalyst for me just recreating safety and healing my relationship with food. And then I was able to safely bring in other foods without feeling like major triggered like triggers and I felt no cravings at all too because I was getting like the basics of my nutrients met too. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I think um and 
binge eating is is so tough. I I'm lucky that I've I I don't know I've lost control of myself with food before, but I don't know if it would qualify as a binge. Um, but I feel so bad for people who are like stuck in that cycle. Um, I can't imagine yeah. how tough it is. Um, for me, it was just like when I was lightweight rowing and we were cutting calories so aggressively, sometimes I would have like a bag of almonds in my room and I would eat like two pounds of almonds and I'd yeah. be like, Ugh. but yeah, yeah. That's, it's, um, it was very short lived. I think it only happened a few times, but I, I, I felt that like insatiable, like just need to keep eating. Right. Um, how has carnivore also helped with, um, like your metabolism, hormonal health, um, and regulating those things? Yeah. So metabolism is going to be huge. Um, because a lot of people, uh, I see this a lot with like coaches and trainers and they're like, you know, they're like, you don't, you, you need carbs. Carbs are great, blah, blah, blah. And carbs are really good. And I think especially for women, it could be really healthy to incorporate carbs. But what we don't understand fully or not, everyone is understanding that without how our metabolism is and how we fuel, we could probably either fuel a lot off of fat or a lot off of carbs, but it will take a while to transition where you could kind of switch between both. I think out of everything that I've experienced, the ideal would be a being like working towards more fat adaptation and then fueling more off of fats and then cycling in, um, cycling in carbs. Um, but I think with metabolism and healing that, um, majority of us, especially Americans, but actually the majority of the world, just because like rice being like the big, food that majority of the world eats, most people are just fueling off of carbs. And with carbs, once you deplete the carb source, you're going to continuously need more carbs. And then you just are going to continue to need carbs throughout the day. You experience crashes and, you know, uh, with fats, it's going to be a little bit more sustainable over a long time period. So that's why a lot of people diving into keto or carnivore, they'll eat like a solid animal-based meal or even a snack and then feel satiated for like hours. So, um, with the metabolism, I just was always classifying myself as a dessert person. And I was also just always kind of, um, because I felt like I was a slave for food and I was just always trying to do this restrictive thing. My metabolism was just so out of whack and I would just consistently gain a lot of weight and lose a lot of weight. And I never felt like my body felt safe. So it was just in reaction survival mode. And I've noticed initially when I did um, the full carnivore diet, like a lot of people don't explain this because they think that you immediately get a six pack. And actually, I think that my body had so much healing to do. So I actually, I don't think I gained too much weight, but I just was disappointed because I was kind of staying around the same, maybe gaining a little bit. And my body was just yeah. really taking time to adjust. I think um, that's very common with, with, individuals who have been restricting for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, looking back, I'm, I'm so grateful I did because now I feel like I'm the happiest I've ever been with my body. And also with the metabolism specifically, um, it feels just so regulated. So, you know, I, I've done the really strict stuff, but I'm also at a place where I take a primal approach to eating now. And even if I, 
have a few days, like I just recently had my birthday or whatever it is where I do have these like modern day, I don't consider a lot of them even real food, but let's just call them like American foods. Um, I feel like my body is able to rebound and get back to its equilibrium like really well. And I think that's a great indicator of metabolism. You also asked about hormones and coming from someone who was plant-based for a while and who was also on birth control for a while, which I think could be really disruptive. And then who was also restricting and overtraining in the gym. I did just did a lot of weightlifting and high intensity workouts. I just really, um, my, I mean, my hormones were out of balance. I was barely getting a period. Um, I was breaking out sometimes. I actually lost a lot of hair at one point. And this was like in my early 20s. And I was like, I don't want to be losing hair in my early 20s. And um, I just didn't even understand what it felt like to have my hormones in balance. And this is another reason why that period of going through the full carnivore diet was so beneficial. Um, for those familiar with like why they call a period also your moon is because for a lot of times women they can sync up their cycles really well with the moon. And it it doesn't have to be that way, but it, it could be a good indicator that you're really on your rhythm and you're really in touch with your hormones. So for me, I was actually getting my period on the full moon for that entire duration. And it almost like just... I, feel, I felt like every symptom I had experienced was so healed up, like barely any cramps. Um, usually I was getting some acne and then even after that subsided, I was still breaking out a little bit leading up to my cycle. And to this day, I just don't have a single breakout. And I'm just like, I don't, I mean, if that's not an indicator of good hormones, like I don't know what is. And then just energy levels during the day, I don't have a crash at all. So, um, yeah, the metabolism and hormones have been yeah. huge. That's amazing. And do you feel like it's affected your mood as well um, and your mental health? A hundred percent. I feel like I just am so much more conscious of what my baseline is. So when I recommend like carnivore to people, it's not because you need to do that forever. I think the reality is we live in a life where we might have friends or we might like going to restaurants or we might want to try different things or we like our coffee in the morning, whatever it is, or chocolate sometimes. But um, we, we want to feel what it feels like to feel at our baseline, at total peace, at total just like energy equilibrium. And when I did the carnivore diet, it was different for me because I was so used to these highs and lows. And that's almost like our we're addicted to that. We're addicted to wanting that energy crash so we can have coffee again. And then we want another energy crash so we can have like a glass of wine to like wind us down. Like we're constantly just looking for band-aids. And it was the first time where I was like, I just feel like stable energy and I don't feel any cravings. And I was like, I'm so used to feeling like my dopamine wanting to be spiked and, and all of these things. So I feel like it was one of the best things I could do for my energy levels because it almost felt like a retreat for myself. And now I don't have to put off work because I think I'm going to have a slump in the afternoon. Like I just feel like I like right before this, I had a huge bowl of ground beef <laughs> and I remember eating a meal before I ate this way and a hundred percent, I would feel an energy crash, but I could feel so confident and eating a bunch of meat, specifically red meat for me, and then not feeling any energy crash afterwards. 
yeah, it's amazing how much that changes. Um, and I'd love to get to know a little bit more about your background in, in yoga. What is a 500 ERYT? Yeah, totally. I know it sounds like so many different terms. So um, with yoga, typically a yoga teacher needs to do 200 hours of training, which is the registered yoga training. So RYT. And um, yeah, typically it's 200 hours. So I did that a few years ago and I actually went into yoga teaching without even the full intention of teaching yoga. I was just really intrigued by the practice. And it's something I recommend for a lot of people because regardless of your teaching or not, um, you get a lot from a yoga class. But when you do the yoga training, you're learning about the philosophy of yoga, which is what yoga is. It's not just a type of movement. It's a full-on philosophy that's like ancient. Um, so when people do 300 hours, that's just a lot more in-depth into the philosophy. You also dive deeper into the breath work or what it's called pranayama, um, deeper into meditation just deeper into so many of the other practices. And so I uh, did my 300 hour in India. Um, now it's been close to three years ago, which is crazy. Um, so that was such a monumental practice. That was actually, it, ironically, because a lot of people think that yoga is like the most vegan thing ever. But my um, my yoga teacher training in India was the first time I actually reintroduced dairy back in before introducing animal foods um, because they use a lot of ghee in Ayurvedic practice. So I felt really satiated because I was in the Himalayas where it's really cold and I really needed that fat actually. So the ghee was such a pivotal part of it, but that's what was a big catalyst for my yoga practice um, being up there. And then I've been teaching pretty much for the past like more than five years now. Um, so that's been amazing. And I incorporate that into retreats, but I take kind of like a primal approach to movement and breath work um, and you know animal flow training. If people are familiar, it's kind of like ground-based animal patterns. I've done like the Wim Hof training. So I'm a big um, fan of like cold plunging, but also incorporating that with like all of the other biohacking and more animal-based approach to living. Um, so yeah, the yoga philosophy has been great. I think what I get the most, and it's why I kind of resonate with the term primal yogi a lot, is because a lot of people think yoga is completely separate from eating meat. And it's been a lot of meditation, but I've felt like I've been able to kind of create and understand a more deeper level of how these could come together. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear how you think about um, those two things fitting together, because I know it's traditionally seen as a bit disparate. But before that, I want to yeah. understand how you get to 300 hours of yoga training. Like, is it a certain amount of hours a day? How long does it take? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there are so many different ways to do yoga training these days. And I think especially since the pandemic, um, it's a lot more accessible because now there's even like fully online. I definitely would say my present, my preference is in person. Uh, but to give you an idea, a lot of 200 hours 
and 300 hours, what they do in places. If you're taking the training at a place where you live, usually they'll break it down over a course of like three months to even six months. And you're just doing like weekends or every other weekends or sometimes weekday evenings where you're going to a studio and committing your time to training. So that's kind of what I did for my 200 hour training. But some places, if you're going to a different destination, it's really an immersive experience. So you're not just doing training part-time, you're going to a full immersion. And I was really grateful to do my 200 hour kind of like split up because it allowed a lot of time for integration. But my 300 hour, it was literally at an ashram or you could call that kind of like a yoga center at the top of the mountain in, in Rishikesh, India. There's not even any cars to go up this mountain. The only way to get up there is to actually hike or use the donkeys, which is pretty crazy. And um, pretty much just stayed up on top of a mountain for a month. There was only one day off where we would kind of travel to the city and then the Ganges River was right at the base of the mountain. Um, but all of the other days, it's kind of like a 4.30 a.m. start and you're doing chanting, you're doing pranayama breath work. They actually have you do the nasal cleansing, which is like a really great practice to just clear out your system in the mornings. And then you're doing yoga, then there's a break and you're doing yoga philosophy and then more yoga. And then you're winding down the day at like nine or 10. So that was like every day for a month. And that was a, a total different way to experience it. But to this day, it's one of the most like pivotal experiences in my life. Yeah, that sounds life-changing. Um, I'm yeah. sure you'll remember that forever. And yeah, so I, I wanted to get back to that question of, of how do you think about integrating yogic philosophy with um, animal-based eating? Yeah. Um, ooh, okay. So, you know, and I, I'm being honest, like to this day, I feel like that is more of my version of the remembering because yoga philosophy, just to give you guys a background, it's from ancient scriptures and it's a practice or a philosophy that was there thousands of years ago. Um, and it's not religious. A lot of people kind of tie it to religion. It's not religious. It is literally just a philosophy or kind of guidelines of how to live life. And there's different limbs of yoga. So there's like best practices. There's practices that are maybe not the best. There's that idea of creating discipline and structure in your life, but that's actually what can give you freedom, which is what I really resonate with. I think my discipline in sticking to a more animal-based lifestyle actually makes me feel so free because I feel the best I've ever been in my body. So it allows me to be a happier person. Um, and there's the breathwork pranayama, there's concentration, meditation, there's asana, which is what primarily everyone thinks yoga is, which is the movement practice. Um, so there is a specific term in yoga called ahimsa. And this is what everyone gets confused about because ahimsa means nonviolence. So that's a big element of yoga. So what everyone thinks is violent is like killing an animal. Uh, I, I love bringing the um, Avatar movie into this picture of like that episode where you know, the girl has to just gracefully kill off the animal, but she's saying kind of like a little prayer as the animal's dying. And it's just that understanding that everything is truly a life cycle. But to dive into that a little bit deeper, um, I feel like this was a, this was something that I'd like really put a lot of intention to and manifested. But when I was in Florida, I was really, you know, fully into this. I was finally getting into 
an interest of farming. And I really wanted to be more hands-on because I think the closer we could be to our source of food, the it's just an all-around better connection. It's how our ancestors lived. And I was really diving deep into this. I, I came back to San Diego and I was like, dang, I, don't, I just don't think anything is here in Southern California, like ranches and farms, like who does this here? And I was walking around a farmer's market and I came across the ranch that I'm now working with, which is called Perennial Pastures Ranch. And it's a regenerative ranch here in San Diego that's producing grass-fed and finished cows and, and beef. And I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. I bought some you know, steaks there. And I also was just like, how can I get involved? I really want to learn more about this because I'm so surprised that there's a regenerative branch here in San Diego. And um, little background about what regenerative means, but it's basically that idea that the way that the um, cows or animals are um, ranched or farmed is is mimicking how our ancestors used to do it and how, you know, let's say like the bison were migrating across America, they're naturally tilling the soil and they're able to rest the grasses, which creates more alive soil, which is better for the climate, better nutrients for the animal and better all around. So it's mimicking those practices, but in a more controlled setting which is why regeneration is way better than sustainability. But um, basically getting involved with this ranch, I was able to actually go out to the ranch, which I still do multiple times a month, and see these regenerative practices in place. And I'm just seeing these cows on thousands of acres of land, just so spread out, eating all of the grass. They're so just like taken care of there. And... With a regenerative ranch, they're not mass producing, fattening up the cows and killing them off really young. They're actually living a few years and then they're waiting until they're actually ready. Um, and they've kind of, you know, done their time and they've grazed a lot of grass for at least two years, if not more. And then they're ready to butcher. And of course, if it's a mom who's going to be pregnant, um, they're not. And then there's a good amount of bulls because they're you know, they're the ones that in, they are initiating the pregnancies for the cows. So when I was doing that, when I was witnessing that, I was like, wow, this is really beautiful that um, the cows are being nourished this way. And it's also, I organized our events and ranch tours. So getting people to actually come out to the ranch and see these practices is teaching people like, this is what makes soil alive. This is really how we can save the planet because that was my original intention. And then taking that one step further, actually eating the meat where I'm like, this comes from the ranch right here. I know the practices behind it. These cows were fed grass their entire life. And I know that they were killed off in low stress atmosphere and practices. And I'm just having a small piece of steak, not even like a big one, because when I went all in, I really had to eat and go all in, but just a small piece of steak. And I'm feeling so satiated for hours and I feel the happiest and the healthiest I've ever been. And I feel like I can be there to give so much to people. Um, we talked about you know the people and how my audience changed with my company and how a lot of people had to kind of fall off because they were vegan, but the amount of women, especially, but also just people who have reached out saying, Hey, thank you for sharing all that you share and creating all this content because I've started incorporating animal foods and this has changed my life. And so I'm like, wow, I'm really happy that I'm actually prioritizing myself and my health and being selfish because I'm able to help a lot of other people. So that's really the idea. If we're taking it back to the violence, the ahimsa 
if you're being violent towards yourself, which for me was disordered eating and restricting and even being plant-based, that was actually like torturing myself because I felt like I had to do it for the planet. If you're being violent to yourself, it's like you're inevitably not going to be a good citizen to the world. Like, How can you be showing up at your best and giving your gift to the world? So really understanding that and then being like, wow, this cow's nourishing me so I can nourish myself and give more back. But I can also continue to help this ranch to further and like create more good health for the cows that are going to be continuing to grow on this land. So it truly gave me that approach of that life cycle. And that's like the conscious evolution or our consciousness. And that's basically what yoga is. Yoga means union. And it's like creating more unity between all of these moving parts. So that's my interpretation. I think it's yoga is amazing because it's it leaves room for everyone to interpret, but that's what really brought me so much peace with this. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic philosophy and thank you for for walking through that. I, I certainly resonate with it and I think a lot of listeners will as well. Um, can you talk about, you, you talked about some of the elements, but what is the structure of your retreats like? Um, and, and maybe how can folks find out more about that? Yeah, 100%. Thank you. Um, so the retreats have shifted a lot. You know, my first few retreats, they were they were plant-based retreats, you know, but um, food has always been a focus and I'm so excited for the retreats now and how they've been playing out because they're definitely animal-based and depending on what part of the world we're in, we try to source foods based on that. So Last year, I did a retreat in Miami, and we actually did a good amount of seafood, and we were sourcing the fish that were in that climate. And we were doing some fruits because it's more of a primal approach, so we're just getting all those ancestral foods. But we were doing all the tropical foods that are abundant in that tropical part of the world. Um, Every year, I do a retreat in Utah, so I do have one coming up. This um, this coming at the actually at the end of the month and there's a few spots left, but that one is actually fully animal based, and we focus a lot on eating wild game and red meat because that's what's more abundant in like Utah and Colorado area. And um, there's also going to be one day where we're fasting, and we didn't dive too much into it, but fasting was definitely a huge catalyst of my healing. And I think a lot of people in the animal based community, it kind of goes hand in hand with how they eat because I like to eat like two really big meals a day and I feel super satiated and then maybe a little snack in between. But take we take everyone through a little um, you know fast there and then really big meals communally. Before I would have a chef that's just preparing all the meals and it was kind of a very like relaxation retreat style. But what I like to implement now in retreats is I want to empower you to actually learn how to cook meat over fire and use a grill and learn about where your food's coming from. And also like food is such an ancestral practice that is so beautiful when it's shared with people. So when you cook together and you're fasting together and then you're eating together, it's literally like the epitome of the remembering and the best thing ever. I mean, I know probably a lot of people on here know how amazing it is to like go through a fasted state, even if it's just a few hours and then break your fast with like amazing meat. It's just amazing. And it feels really good. So, um, that's a, that's a big proponent, but I would say the two other really big things in the retreats is that I focus a lot on primal movement. So I focus on movement patterns that involve a lot of like deep squatting, more animal flow style and some yoga 
And we also have monkey bars. So we focus on brachiation. Our shoulders are the most mobile joints in our body. And that's how our ancestors used to use our bodies. So it's to avoid pain. It's to feel real, really, really good. Um, and then also connection with nature. So the one in Utah is in Moab near Arches National Park. And we just take beautiful hikes. There's actually a waterfall that's ice cold in the morning. So we cold plunge and we do breath work there. We swim in the Colorado River, which is amazing. Um, in Miami, we did just like going into the water there and really getting into our circadian rhythm with the sunrises and sunsets. We've done a number of them in California as well. So really incorporating the nature, circadian rhythm, communally with our tribe, and then like eating the food and movement. Those are all the components in the retreat. That sounds amazing. I want to go now. <laughs> yeah, um, that'll be so fun. So where, where can folks find out more about um, the upcoming one in Utah and future retreats? Yeah, so um, I always post everything on my own Instagram, which is at primal.yogi and then the live bliss one is just at live bliss so that's l-i-v-e-b-l-i-s-s-e-d and then also livebliss.com but instagram is a great one to just get like consistent updates and i pop on there to actually explain in details and you can always dm me about questions for the retreats and upcoming workshops everywhere wonderful well i'll have links to all that in the show notes and thanks so much again for coming on sutra it was a pleasure and really exciting to get to know you better. Thank you so much for having me on. It was such a, a so special to be able to listen to this podcast as part of my journey and then actually be on is pretty surreal. So thank yeah, you. full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered? Or who would you like to hear from? in the carnivore research community. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.